Let us take a moment to pray before we think about God's Word. Come Holy Spirit and soften our hearts to the Word of God. Come Holy Spirit and meet with us in our waiting. Come Holy Spirit with power and deep conviction for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder how you are approaching Advent this year. It might have been quite a full-on year, certainly that's my feeling, coming a little bit tired and weary. Not quite at the stage personally, but maybe you are of gritting your teeth just to get through the season and eventually get to a moment of quiet and rest. But you know, maybe you're coming to Advent this year having experienced loss, personal loss. Loss of job, loss of security and confidence, maybe capacity, maybe of hope. Maybe there's more strain or more conflict or more heartache in your life. In our own individual ways, we might feel like that solitary candle of the Advent wreath, alone, holding up a a flickering speck of light to a year that has felt dark and hard. And so as we begin Advent, surrounded by a culture which tells us this season is meant to be happy and clappy and full of good cheer, well, well maybe you just feel a bit disillusioned. Maybe it feels like Advent, Christmas, the Nativity story is just that. A nice wee kid's story. Irrelevant to the wider and more difficult issues of life. And yet maybe there's more, maybe there's more to Advent than we know. Our passages today are are traditional passages for this first Sunday in Advent, not ones we were probably expecting to read. But there are thousands of churches looking at these passages today because they're the set passages in the lectionary. And if you don't know what that is, Google it later on. And so there's thousands of Christians thinking about these very same passages. But it can seem really odd to be thinking about these passages for Advent. That is, until we, do some, we learn some of the backstory to Advent. Because Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And the New Testament was written in Greek. And so when you translate Adventus into Greek, you get the word Parousia. And parousia is used throughout the New Testament to speak of the return of Jesus, his second coming. And so scholars believe that uh, during the fourth and fifth centuries, Advent was a season of preparation for new Christians who were coming up to be baptized at the Feast of Epiphany, just at the turn of the new year. And so originally there was very little connection between uh, Advent and And Christmas, it wasn't until the Middle Ages that it was explicitly linked with the first coming of Jesus as a baby. So part of Advent is about waiting. Waiting on the return of Jesus. But why? Why his return? Well, that's where I think our passage in Isaiah helps to give us some context. 
Because Isaiah paints us a picture of that glorious future day he, he wrote earlier. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. All nations will stream to it. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Isaiah shares this picture, this vision of togetherness, real unity, peace, true shalom, wholeness. And that's in stark contrast to chapter 1. If you were to go back and read chapter 1, it's full of, of describing what the people were experiencing at the time, which was war, destruction, death. And so what Isaiah shares here in chapter 2 is in stark contrast to that. It's, it's a promise, it's a vision of restoration. A promise of restoration that will come about, Isaiah says, by the Lord, by his word, by his light. And that's why we wait for the return of Jesus. We wait for him to return and fulfill these promises, these unfulfilled promises, these promises of restoration. And don't we need those promises just as much as Israel's day did, when war is on our doorstep, when within and between nations there is great disunity, and within our homes, within our communities, there is injustice, there is conflict, there is sin eating away at us. Don't, don't we need these promises of restoration as much as all those years ago? Theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. The promise of restoration seems more needed and and tangible and, and wanted when, when we know that, that life is broken and messy for us and, and for others. And so I wonder, friends, do you come troubled and soul today in some way? Do you come maybe not looking forward to something because you don't know what to look forward to, but you come aching for something better, aching for something to change? If this describes you in any way at all, then welcome to Advent. And welcome to that part of Advent which is about waiting for restoration and being honest of the struggle in the waiting. Being honest that you're troubled of soul. Being honest that you yearn for something to change. And so friends, who are you being honest with? Are you being honest with a friend or a family member? Are you being honest with someone in the church family? Are you being honest with yourself? Do you dare to be honest with God? Maybe his invitation to each of us at the start of Advent is to be honest about the struggle 
as we wait for restoration. Now, we all know that waiting is not easy. It's a little bit harder than just waiting for a sweetie. When those things in life press in upon us and they sap us at the deepest level, it's hard. And if we are to keep on waiting, we need something to sustain us. We need hope. We need hope to sustain us in the waiting. So where do we find hope in our passages today? Well, I think we find hope in two places, and they're almost like two sides of the same coin, really. First of all, Jesus said this, therefore keep watch, because you know that on, the, you, know on what, you do not know on what day your Lord will come, so you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come. Your Lord will come. Jesus will come. He makes this promise twice in as few verses. And it does that to reinforce it, to underline it, to bring it home to us that he stands by this promise. But you might want to come back to me and say, well, Scott, how do I know that Jesus is, is good for that? How can I have any confidence in that? After all, it's 2,000 years since he made that promise. How am I supposed to draw hope from these words? How am I meant to find hope in Jesus? Well, let me take you back to Isaiah. But this time to a different chapter, the chapter that we read from at the start of our worship, where another promise was made. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here's another promise God made. And a promise he kept. To send a son, a child. No normal child. Which child gets called mighty God or everlasting or prince of peace? This was no ordinary child. And yet God made such an outrageous promise and he kept it. He kept it. And so on the one hand, our hope is sustained in the knowledge that the Lord has come, that he has kept this promise. He has been faithful once, and so he will be faithful again to keep his other promise to come a second time. And so part of Advent is, is having our hope renewed in the waiting as we look back to the first coming of Jesus as a babe at Christmas, fulfilling that promise when God took on human form. That's the first side of the coin. But the second side of the coin is, is when our hope is sustained by the very same thing, but in a different light. Because in our Matthew passage, Jesus also said, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. No one knows, Jesus says. Not even me, Jesus says. Only the Father. 
And if you're like me, when you first read it, you're really scratching your head to get your mind around that. Because we've just seen that Jesus is God. So how can he not know? Well, here's how. We know from the other parts of the New Testament that when Jesus became human, when he made himself nothing, he limited, voluntarily limited, his divine attributes, his power, his glory, his presence everywhere, his knowledge of all things. He didn't give them up, but he limited the use of his deity so that he might experience the fullness of human life. And that meant he only exercised those attributes, those abilities, those characteristics when his Father said to and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus restricted himself to normal human knowledge. He chose to be uninformed so that he did not know what the future held, nor when he would return. Now, why is that something to give us hope? Well, it's one thing to have a God who makes incredible promises and has the power and faithfulness to bring those promises about. That's good. That gives us hope. But God might still feel a little bit distant, unrelatable. Like he's this God in the sky just kind of peering in and he's largely unmoved. He'll do something, but, you know, just when he gets round to it. But when we remember the fullness of the Advent story, that the eternal word, the son, the second person of the Trinity, when he became flesh, became fully and truly human, then God just takes on a whole different picture. Because here is a God who embodied solidarity with us. Here is a God who knows us so fully because he became us. In him, we have a God who knows our struggle who knows what it's like to actually be in the dark. He knows what it's like to have to wait and not know when things are going to get better. In Jesus, our hope is sustained because he's God, and so he's divinely able to fulfill his promises. But our hope is also sustained Because Jesus is fully human, with human limitations. Friends, what is sustaining your hope this Advent? What is sustaining you in the waiting? Maybe God's invitation is not only to be honest about the waiting and the struggle. Maybe his invitation is to let him in to the struggle. The real Jesus, the true Jesus, not the the 2D cookie cutter Jesus that our culture portrays, but the real, true Jesus who's fully human and fully God. So as we wait with hope for restoration, we're also then able to wait with something else 
because Jesus says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come. Alongside our waiting with hope, we are to wait with watchfulness. And the full meaning of that is fleshed out by Jesus in the parables that follow the passage we looked at today. So if you want to get into some specifics, then I encourage you to go and read those parables later on. But in all those parables, across every single one, there is a common thread. And that thread of watchfulness, that thread of readiness is this, that we are to live differently now in light of that promise he will return. We are to live differently now in light of his faithfulness to all his promises. And so that one day we will all share in the fullness of his kingdom through faith in him, through trust in that promise. And so we're to be watchful, we're to be ready by living differently today. And what that means for you and for me could be very different. The application could be very varied. There might be something specific in your life that you need to do because of this reality. Maybe it reshapes your finances. Maybe it changes how you relate to your family coming up to the Advent season. And rather than harboring unforgiveness, you choose to forgive. Maybe you choose to follow Jesus for the first time because of this. Maybe you choose to let Jesus in again. As I say, it's going to be very personal to live in light of this, but at the very least, all of us should be shaped by Jesus and his kingdom is what those parables are going to say. All of us should live lives shaped by Jesus and his kingdom. So how are we going to do that? And how are we going to do that collectively? A couple of weeks ago, I wasn't with you because it, it was a pulpit swap and I think you had Monica. Was it Monica? Give me a nod. Yes, it was. It was Monica. Great. And um, I was up at Blackberry Shield Hill in Muravon site. And we were talking about prayer, just as Monica was talking about prayer here. And when I was talking uh, with them, I was reminding them that statistically, less than 3%, or was it with you? I'm getting my weeks mixed up now. With someone, at least, I was saying that less than 3% of the upper Braise congregation, uh, Braise population, less than 3% attends any church of any denomination. Less than 3%. Let that sink in a bit. Less than 3%. And what that means is there's an awful lot of people that don't have this hope, that don't know this promise. And they're having to find hope in other things. And those other things are not bad things, 
But if they're not in Jesus, then, then they're not lasting things. They change. They, they can change in a moment. And so maybe as a church, maybe what it means for us to live ready and watchful is to share this, this Advent season. And so alongside your uh, parish magazine, you're also getting, if you remember, you're getting two of the Christmas cards. And the idea is to share those, to invite someone, a neighbor, a family member, a colleague, to come and find a hope that lasts, a hope that will not change, because it's a hope rooted in Jesus. And on the back of the Christmas card are the services that we'll be having, where we can share that hope afresh. You can also, at the front and rear door, pick up copies of the Nativity Funday flyer and invite families to, to come along and, and get involved in a really creative time uh, where they can engage with the nativity story afresh. But it's not just for families, it's for all ages. So even if you don't have someone to invite along, come along and build relationships because there's less than 3% of our local area know anything about this hope because it just seems like an old story, a kid's story, that sure they'll do a wee nativity up at primary school, but we don't really take it seriously. Maybe this year we might help them take it seriously. Not ramming it down their throats, but sharing the hope. Because part of Christmas is about sharing, right? Sharing because God shared with us. So let's be a people who do that readily, as Jesus said to be, sharing the promise, sharing the hope, the good news of Advent, because as we wait for restoration, there is hope, and it's all because of Jesus. So let us come to him just now in prayer. Let us pray. Earlier this week, I, I read this prayer. God of peace, in the midst of this storm, I offer you my worries. I bring you my brokenness and I surrender my striving. As I rest in your presence, I cast my burdens onto you. How do you come to worship today? How do you come to Advent? Are you facing a storm? Are you facing darkness? Do you have worries and brokenness and striving? Are you weighed down by burdens? Where is it you long for restoration? Take a moment to be honest with God about that. Just in the quiet of your heart, speak to him of where you need peace, of where you need the promise of his restoration.
our Lord and our God, the Prince of Peace. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your presence. And in the midst of our worries, our darkness, our brokenness, our striving, meet with us. Instill fresh hope. And make us a watchful people. Ready to share this near and far. To be bold about it. And to know you afresh, you as you truly are this Advent season. Open our eyes, soften our hearts, peel back the wrapping paper, Lord, and come into our lives afresh and to the lives of the people in our area. For we ask it in your name and for your glory. Amen.